Welcome to the Searching for Meaning podcast. My name is Gonzalo, and I'm joined by my brother, Tiago. Welcome. Greetings. And uh, I guess we'll start. We were talking about this before, but Tiago really wanted to talk about the, the new movie by Tarantino. What's it called? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I just so, went yeah. to see it yesterday, and it's amazing. Just what really, it's about like the... It's not based on true facts, of course not, but it's like, it's the, so it's the, the story takes place in Hollywood in 1969. And this mm-hmm. is, I didn't know this going into the movie, which was something you were supposed to know, was that that was when the Charles Manson killings happened, like the really famous uh, cult oh, yeah. that yeah. They, they killed, like uh, Sharon Tate, which was a, a very famous celebrity. And that like, the whole movie was kind of based around that, but I didn't know anything about it. So <laughs> I missed like tons of references. So only at the end of the movie did I kind of like realize it because they made it like extremely obvious. And then I like, so basically when I finished the movie, I was like so super confused and I went searching online for the explanations. And as I discovered more and more about the story, the movie just got so much better in, in my head. And it's, it's, it's amazing. It's one of those things. I, I, I don't want to spoil it, obviously, for anyone, but it's just like, it's an amazing ending, obviously. And, and just, it, it's a mix of reality with fantasy that I think Tarantino usually does in his movies. He also did it with, yeah. I don't know if you watched uh, Inglorious Bastards, where like mm-hmm. at the end he blows up Hitler or something. Like, it's like those alternate reality movies. It's like those feel-good feel like, type of ending. Yeah, yeah, like you really feel nice this happened. But the movie like was amazing. And like, I've never felt as tense in a movie theater as the last scene of that movie. I was like nervous. For the character, it was I, I never experienced it. Goddamn! Now, now I want to buy that. Yeah, you gotta. I want to watch it again. I wanna. I wanna go watch the movie. Yeah. Does it have one of those like typical Tarantino scenes? Yeah, of course. Scenes? <laughs> it okay. does have. Of but course. It, it was like the yeah. least violence I've seen from him yet, huh. despite awesome. having that like crazy. I saw also that there was a a Bruce Lee scene. Yeah, that, that <laughs> yeah that, that really pissed me off. I also have to talk that because they just represented him really. Like, I think it was really disrespectful, honestly. And even his... Okay. I know that his daughter spoke about it on Instagram. She, she thought it was really disrespectful because they didn't even, like, talk to his family or ask any permission to, like... And they just represented him in, like, this, I think, really not truthful way. Just kind of made him seem like a douchebag who was really arrogant, which God I believe... Goddamn Tarantino. Yeah, which I believe <laughs> to be the opposite. He was really humble and very smart, just... Made him out to be like he was in the movies, like you know, just the the screaming like Wah! and all those things, and like oh, okay, yeah, that that part like <laughs> I won't lie, I got triggered like, and the whole new movie theater <laughs> was laughing about like yeah. was laughing at Bruce Lee, and I was like, oh, I want to punch all these guys. And you were like ripping your shirt open, and yeah, underneath is yeah, like but a Bruce besides Lee that, shirt. the movie is fucking awesome. I think it's the best I've seen this year. All right, cool. So I definitely wanna now. I definitely wanna go check yeah, it out yeah, yeah, cool. because. I always like, you know, Tarantino movies for me are always dope. Yeah. Especially because there's such, um, I don't know, like uniqueness to them. You know, yeah, like when you watch, so for example, Kill, when you watch Kill Bill, you know, like, yeah, this is Tarantino or Pulp Fiction. It's, yeah. it's you can't quite put your finger on it. but And it's so surprising because I think uh, Tarantino's first movie was, not in, not in Glorious Bastards, of course not, the Rav, Reservoir Dogs. And it's so funny looking back because... All the actors there eventually became like, you know, A-list celebrities. But when he hired them, they were all... It was an independent movie. I, yeah. I don't even know how that was possible. Reservoir Dogs, you may not know, but all the actors there are super famous now. And at the time, it was an independent movie. 
That's it's not even a. You just kind of. It's not like a studio made, like, supporting it or anything. That's just to and show how much see. of a good director he is. Yeah, and f like now maybe shifting a bit more towards not self development, but like Tarantino, he is one of those people when you see him in interviews and when you see him talk, he knows everything there is to know about. Yeah, cinema. he loves it. He really loves it. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And I, f I really, that that's really you can really see that in his movies because. I don't think there's any Tarantino movie that is like a cash grab, you know? Maybe mm -hmm. there's no like, you know, like Fast and Furious, although they're fun as hell, you know, they're mostly for the money. But when I see a Tarantino movie, it's not for the money. It's, it's him. There is a purpose behind that. Yes. And all of them, exactly. I don't remember seeing a bad of him. And I feel like that Me can either. only come when you really love your craft and you're not stand for like, if a scene is, you feel like it's not good, you're going to repeat it. You're not just going to be like, ah, okay, it's good enough. And he also has like this crazy effect to him. Like you go to see the movie because you know it's made by Tarantino. I don't get that with any other director. Like, yeah. I, I don't, like even, do you know like the, the cast of this, this movie? Like Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio. No one's talking about that. It's just like, oh, this is the ninth film from Quentin Tarantino. I'm going to go watch it. The, like overshadows even like the best actors in the world and it's crazy. I just I have one like a small advice if people listening to this and if you're going to go and see it in the movie, really like investigate or take the time to learn a bit about the Charles Manson killings because that will just make the movie like it'll just take it to a whole nother level I think because I went into it without knowing it and I, I missed a lot of references and then I I got I got the pleasure then after what, ending the movie and going to investigate and remembering all the the references but I, I just think if you go into it knowing it and understanding all the references it'll just be a lot, a lot better and, and a, lot, a lot of scenes that gain a lot uh, a different level of impact yeah yeah and but i like the the thing you're saying about how when you go watch this movie it's mostly because tarantino did it and you know i, I guess you have some directors maybe spielberg and all that but but usually those movies you're not gonna go watch it because Oh, it's a Spielberg movie. It's usually, you know, the movie itself. It's kind of like, oh, maybe it's yeah, a the sequel movie, the to movie something. Looks or cool. like Spielberg yeah. is kind of a plus. With Tarantino, it's like it's him. Yeah, it's him. It's like I, I feel like, um, what's like Tarantino for me? It's like Kubrick in a way, where it's like you don't give a fuck about like, oh, I'm gonna watch the movie because he did it, yeah, not because Tom Cruise is in the movie or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. And even like when you see The Shining. I, I feel like it's turning into a movie podcast. But <laughs> bear with it. But like, for example, The Shining, if you've never seen it, you should. It's like the classical scene where Jack Nicholson like uh, breaks yeah, the door open with a, an axe and it's like, but it's like, here's Johnny. Johnny. That's yeah. where the meme comes from. But like, you know that movie, at least for me, I know it because Kubrick did the movie, not because Jack Nicholson was in the movie. Yeah. And it's, and I now, okay, let's go shift now to where our podcast is dedicated to. I feel like that can only happen if you are really... First of all, you have to be very dedicated to your craft. And then you must also be invested in trying new things, you know? For example, Tarantino. I feel like, for example, Pulp Fiction now is regarded as one of the best movies ever. But it's kind of like... It's not a, a normal plot line. It kind of goes against what you're used to seeing. It's probably a big risk when you had to do that. Especially at the so, time. Yeah. Yeah, it's like 98, I think, or... 99 it's yeah. so and and Kubrick the same way like all his movies it's big risks he's taking because it's usually things that either have not been done or there's a big risk that the public might not you know connect as well 
And I feel like for me, that's a very important part of, you know, evolving in what you're doing. Because there's a lot of people who are very good at what they do. Let, let's take an example of painting, for example. There's a lot of good painters. But why is there, for example, Jace, uh, is it Jackson Pollock, why is he famous? Even though his paintings, if you don't know, it's just like splatters of paint. Even though they're big paint paintings, it's just like like splatters of paint, pretty much. Is, is there painters that are better than him? Probably. But at the end of this, it's not only the being good. It's not only the... Um, this the raw <clears throat> excuse me the raw skill or the raw talent yeah it's the willingness to go and try you know a step further and even here not to say like there's a lot of, of effort that goes into those paintings but at when he did that first it's risky because it's like oh you could just paint it like realistically and you probably do, do a good job at that but everyone does that you know yeah it's i think it's about authenticity and that's where you really where it comes out when, it, when it's like people they 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 love, and now relating it to what we usually talk about, they love the process so much that they are willing, like, they don't care if the the movie gets a better rating or not. And I feel like that's kind of yeah. part of making a really good movie. For example, with this movie, I think there's lots of people that left the room without knowing, like, without liking the movie because, like I said, if you don't know the, the story behind Charles Manson killings, you just leave the movie and you're, like, confused. You don't understand kind of why, like, even a, a part of the story happens. And that was me. I was like, what? What kind of, what just happened here? But then I took the time to investigate and it's like, oh my, this movie is amazing. But like, I, just, he, Tarantino did it and he knew that there's people that don't know about Charles Manson killing, especially outside of uh, America. I feel like it's, I, I mean, probably everyone in the United States knows about it because it's just like a, such an important thing there. Yeah. But here, like, we don't really know that much about it. And so it's a, a, an extreme risk it took knowingly just because, and I think that can only come from authenticity and from really being real with yourself and knowing that, and, and in this case, you, you can just see it, that he's really passionate about the process of making movies itself. He just, he, he loves doing it, and I don't think it's even about, like, uh, appealing to audience, or to appealing to a certain audience for him. It's just, like, trying to make the, the best work of art he can do for him and then just exposing it. Yeah, absolutely. It's the... The willingness to kind of not give a fuck, I would say. Yeah. That you, one must be willing to have to a certain degree. And even him, you'll see, sometimes he's very, he's accused of plagiarizing because he takes a lot of inspiration from other movies. There's scenes sometimes that he puts in his movies that happened in like movies from the 60s and stuff like that because he just loves that so much, like using the um, Tarantino example. But yeah, it's being authentic to... What you know, because the the thing about being authentic in, let's say, this creative aspect is that a lot of the times you know that you have to do or that you want to do that, but the only reason that's going to stop you is outside influences. So, for example, the paintings, you want to try something new, maybe it's like, oh, but then my name is going to get associated with this if it doesn't work out. Or movies the same way. Mm -hmm. Especially in these like uh, professions where it's very easy to be, you know, to become that guy with just one one thing you know it could be for example the um, m night Shyamalan, the director of the sixth sense it's very easy it's like oh he became the guy who's like with the twist ending yeah. so then sometimes when he does a movie that doesn't have a twist ending people are like oh the movie's not that good because there was not a twist ending mm -hmm. but it's like who says that <laughs> just because he does it has to have that yeah. so then i understand why you know the the hardship of 
trying new things and putting them out there. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, it's just, it's not that hard anymore. With internet, like you can just, you know, just put it out there. Just let's see, see what happens. Yeah. And, and I think don't it's be... important also to note that there will always be backlash with everything you do in life. Like we're talking about like painters and movie stars and movie directors, which of course, it seems that there's a bigger impact because it's obviously open to like a, a large audience. But even in your own life, when you're trying to make changes, you have to know that there will always be some opposition from the outside world, from family, friends. Like I remember when I kind of started doing different things, you just kind of, you get weird looks from people you already know because like you are breaking your personality to a certain extent. And people are used to that personality. And one thing about humans is that we really don't like change that much. And it makes sense from an evolutionary perspective. You, you would want things to be as uh, reliable as possible. And so when you see change, we are naturally inclined, I think, to, to kind of like question it and, and really like be uh, alert to it. And so I think when you try to make changes in your life, that, like, whatever that means for you, maybe you're just trying to be a, a more like a spiritual person, meditating more or journaling, stuff like that. If you're trying to be more healthy, making healthier choices, going to bed earlier, you will get, especially if you're in our age, I think you'll get a lot of opposition from your friends because you've kind of gone from being the guy who, I'm just giving you an example, didn't care about health, didn't really care about spirituality and relationships and whatever, and then you just kind of like, all of a sudden you say, no, now I care about this, I care about having a regular sleep schedule, I care about eating healthy, and then guess what? You have to make sacrifices for that. So like you, you can't go out every night. When you go out, you eat different things than your friends and like, that's just some examples I'm giving you that when like when you are trying to make changes, like all kinds of uh, there, there's no avoiding um, like kind of the, the the critics that you'll have in your life. And but that's okay because it's also it's not going to be that important. Like people will say to you like, oh, why are you eating that and not this? And you're like, oh, because of this, because I, I want to be healthier. And they're like, oh, okay. Or maybe they like, question a bit more, make a joke, and then you move on. It's not that much of a big deal so you have to know that it, it will happen but also that it doesn't matter that much yeah usually the the biggest problem it's always in our mind like i remember yeah. when i i think when i started meditating and i went to the beach with some friends and i was like oh, let's try this here let's see what they think <laughs> about this and i remember and then I, I did like 10 minutes and they were like what are you doing and i was like meditating and then they were like uh what's that i explained a bit and they were like made some jokes and that's it you just move on it's like whatever let's play soccer okay it's not for the most part you know i I get that some people may have like very toxic friends and shit like that but for the most part people also don't care that much about you as much as they care about themselves you know unless it's something very emotionally triggering for them for example politics let's take ben shapiro there's people who hate him with a passion but that's because the points that he makes are very um, go very against what those people feel. Mm-hmm. But for you, if it's just personal change, like oh, I'm gonna start going to the gym, or I'm gonna start um, uh, painting because I feel a need to paint or to sing or to whatever, yeah, you'll get some you know jokes at the beginning, but that's pretty much it. That's pretty much all you're gonna get. And especially like, so if you're not in school pretty much then it's all good because no one cares i feel like that's the worst is that when people are in high school university university not as much but high school you get that like oh my whole world is like these 100 people around me then when you leave that it's most people just don't care and if it's and if they care and they're for example 
online and giving you hate, you can always turn it off. So it's... Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like it's, that. Just quite exciting. It's like the Tyler, the creator meme, you know? The cyberbullying one. I don't know. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, so it's like, it's like I'm, I'm talking about cyberbullying. Like, it's, it's, it, it, so he basically says, like, he puts out a tweet saying... Uh, what the fuck is cyberbullying? Boy, just like shut down your computer. <laughs> you <know? laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, it's so it's amazing. Obviously, it's like such an and he did take and people just kind of he got all loads of backlash. But it's to a certain point, it's kind of true, <laughs> you know. It's true not, to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying that cyberbullying can just it's not a, a real thing and people aren't affected by it. But even relating that to real life, it's just kind of shutting things off and in like giving going back to the high school example. First of all, you get that because when you're a teenager, that's where like the spotlight effect, where you think everything is about you and everyone's always watching what you do. That's where it's in, at its peak. So that's where you like most concerned about your appearance and all those things. And then, but also if you if you just embrace whatever you are doing, and let's say if you're just starting to go to the gym, I, actually this happened to me when I was in high school. And so and people just kind of like yeah, they knew I was going to the gym. And at the beginning, I like I kind of got like some like jokes and some kind of like, you know, stuff like that. And I was like, but I just didn't care. I was like, no, I, I like doing this. And, and yeah. guess what? People just stopped making jokes because like, I don't care that they're that I'm clearly not bothered. And so they're like, oh, what, what's the point? If you're not bothered by it, people just lose interest. Yeah, absolutely. And the problem I feel like is that a lot of people leave those environments, but they still carry the belief that everyone else cares. When that's just, mm -hmm. like, if you really think about it, if you don't live like if you live in a small town, it's different. Let's imagine you live in an averagely large city. You could literally, I don't know, piss your pants in the middle of the street the next day. Yeah. People, <laughs> you could walk there, no one would remember. Yeah, our, and no one would even say a thing to you at yeah. that moment. They're just like, Especially oh, that's weird. Like they would look. Yeah, like, yeah. Imagine if you were to go to the main square of wherever you live, if it's a big city, and if you just piss your pants right in the middle of there. Do you think most people stand to watch? You know, they just like look, like oh, okay, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, that's, that's exactly what would happen. And they would, and then the next day, you could go there, no one would, would remember, no one. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, that's just. And that's to just to get to the point that if there's, and of course, there's always new things we want to try or things we want to do, but for some reason we don't do them. And of course, like I'm, I'm none of us gonna give the solution of like, oh, just do it, because well, if you, if that was the solution, you would have already done it for the most part, you know. Yeah. But it's like no, know, by knowing that it's okay, you can sl like slowly ease into that, you know. Like if yeah. you if you like to sing, maybe you can, you know, slowly start taking singing lessons and then put a video on YouTube about you singing and then do a concert or whatever. But there's a there's a lot of power in just taking the first step as well. Because I feel like the difference, I remember also when we started the podcast, like, I, I don't know if it was for, for some time, we're like, ah, we're going to do it, da, da, da. and then just taking the first step in anything can be like the most important part. It's, it's yes. not, maybe they're not the most important, but it's like the quote, uh, the journey of a thousand, of a thousand miles starts with a single step. And Instead I, I, of, I, I think that's because it also like the, that first step kind of destroys a lot of like mental doubts and scenarios you were creating about how it would have been. Like yeah. before you actually do it, you're just like wondering about all of the things that could go wrong or whatever. whatever. But, and then you, when you actually do it, it's like, okay, this happened, this happened, but all the other 100,000 possibilities didn't happen. And so you just like, I think you just get a, like that huge feeling of relief 
when you actually start doing something and, and then you just kind of I think you just kind of notice how not how easy it is but how, like all the amount of mental effort you were putting into just like all the uh, amounts of mental concern you were kind of putting into just this one topic yeah absolutely and then the thing I see is that we I feel like we always underestimate how far we can go if we just keep going like with yeah. not to to suck our own dicks too much, but with the podcast, I never thought like it would get twenty k not twenty k followers on Instagram, but I never I hoped for it when we started. <laughs> Dude, I still remember. I feel like we talk about this in every podcast, but I I still remember on the third month having the goal for the next month to have seven hundred followers, yeah. and that was like what five months ago. <laughs> I remember hitting a thousand and being like, "Whoa, what? Yeah, is this this is this happened? Yeah, so weird. I, I never thought. And now, like, we're getting that every three days. Yeah, it's also yeah, it's 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 crazy. But it's that's like, just it's show. impossible to predict how far you'll go if you just keep going. That's for me. And that's also, the big thing. But I think it's important also for us to note this that we didn't know it was going to happen. Yeah. I, I want to make yeah. this very clear that because I feel like in when you hear like success stories, like you often you get that pe- that, that person saying, "Nah, from the beginning I knew I wanted to be an astronaut." It's like, "Nah, man. Most people don't know that they're going to be a millionaire. They're going to be a billionaire. They're that they're that like when the guys who started Google started Google, they didn't think, oh, this is going to be the biggest company yeah. ever.' And it's like, uh, yeah, no, it's impossible, almost impossible for him to have thought that. I mean, and if they're, I think if they're real with themselves they will know that that's not how they started they can just start doing something they work really hard at it i'm not taking away anything from them but it's just like don't create like this story around it because then other people i think they get scared of trying because they're like ah man i just don't have the conviction that steve jobs have yeah i need this vision from the start you you don't need the vision you just need to start that's just it Yeah, because a lot of the times the vision comes by starting and by starting doing more like Oh, for yeah, or Amazon. That's the example I know the best. Like it was a books, a book selling website when it started. It sold only bo- it sold only books. I don't think Jeff Bezos had any idea that he would be, you know, selling everything and then also hosting servers and then, you know, it's. And the th- the thing is that sometimes I think it can be detrimental to have that big vision when you just start when you're just starting out, because mm-hmm. if you're like. I feel like nowadays there's also a lot of this not hustle culture, but it's like you got no. I'm gonna be the best entrepreneur in the world. I'm gonna have a, a five top five hundred company, and it's like, do you even know what that company is gonna be about, dude? Like, why don't you, <laughs> yeah. why don't you start with that instead of oh, I just want to get there. And then it's like, why do you want to get there? You don't even know. It's all of those companies that are there. Most of them were created by guys who just really like the process of what they were doing. They're not thinking yeah. like. For, like, do you think John Rockefeller thought he was going to be the wealthiest man ever? Or do you think he just liked the process of doing that and eventually that process made him that guy, you know? It's yeah. much more likely the, the latter one. It's because also, let's imagine you you don't have that much, you know, assets at the moment. And then your goal is to have like, oh, I want to have a billion dollar company. What happens if you only get like a 100K company? Is that bad? No, it's very good. But then you'd be like, oh, but and then you're probably going to give up much before you get there. And it's yeah. for me personally, 
because uh, for a long time I was in this like 10x mentality and just make your goals big. To be honest, it depends on the person. But for me, that doesn't work at all. It just makes everything worse because I always feel like I'm <laughs> failing. And it's, it's not pleasant at all. And then you just end up, at least for me, giving up on that goal. Because it's just yeah. like, make $1 million next year when I'm not even making 100K. It's just like, what? How is that? Yeah. I think, yeah, I think for most people that doesn't work. Uh, I mean, I, I can say mostly, but I can also speak for myself, really. But that for me doesn't work at all because I just get that mentality. It's like, I, it's such a huge goal that I'm just afraid of it. Like if it's like be a millionaire in a year, it's like, <laughs> it's so big that I'm, I don't even want to start. It just scares yeah. me. It's like, oh, I'd never, so you just kind of, that's what, that's where I kind of think procrastination originates from. It's like people... They're just kind of too afraid of that big goal and just kind of start distracting themselves because it's such a big thing. And so when you actually start small with things, you don't get that fear. And so you actually do stuff and that's how you actually progress in life. So I think small goals are very underrated and, and like small daily Absolutely. goals. And like starting small is really underrated in general. I think we've kind of developed over the years a really like go big or go home attitude. And which I, it's just not true. You just, it's not go big or go home. It's go kind of small and you'll eventually get there. Uh, but it's, and it's all, Jordan Peterson puts it in a beautiful way. It's just like, find the, the, the smallest thing that you could do and that you would do and then do it. And that's just, that's just it. It's like, I remember like listening at the first time and I was, and, the, and at that time was, my mentality was completely the opposite. I was like, <laughs> what? What are you saying, Jordan Peterson? I mean, you're a really smart guy, but why would I do this? I just like that. This is not for me. This is for like other people. And no, it's exactly for me. It's just like, it's, you'd be amazed at how, how like the, the, the returns you get from just doing small things consistently that make you better. Just like, yep. it's like, it's cliche, but it's, it's like, it's the making your bed. It's, just cleaning up your room and doing that consistently. That's like the small things that you, you think are ridiculous. But like all the successful people, all like, not all the successful people, but there's lots of people saying there's even like a, a, a speech that I think it was like a Navy SEAL or something gave to a school. And it was like, that's what we were saying. It's like, make your bed. Yeah. Like the whole speech was about like just making your bed every day. And I mean, there's value in that. Absolutely. It's because... By at least I feel like by starting with those small things, then the the big things don't get as scary because you can see like a road to them, you know. Uh, let's say because a guy who can consistently keep his room clean, which I'm not there yet, so <laughs> a bit a grain of salt. But for example, the other day I cleaned my room, like everything, and then I look and he's like, "You're proud of what you did, even though it was yep. not that big." You're like, "Fuck," because by cleaning your room, then you you allow yourself to have an environment where you actually like being. And if you like being there, maybe you're going to work better there. And then if you work better there, then you're going to have much more productivity. And then that bigger productivity is going to give you a bigger possibility of maybe having the million-dollar company. But it, it all starts... It's going to the root of the problems. I saw also Gary Vee put it in a very good way. It's don't try to fix the sink. Fix the well first. Because... If you 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 can optimize where the output is coming from, to whatever you want. But if but if the output is not good, it's like what is the point of that? If your if your shower is like pouring shitty water, then fix. It's not the head of the shower that is broken. It's the where the water is coming from. And I feel like a lot of the the 
most people's problems, myself for a long time, of not like getting to where you want is that it's because you're trying to fix something on the outside when it's it's should be in your mindset, at least when you're starting out. For me, the 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 biggest shift I had recently is just to put the focus on the process and try to put it as outside of myself as possible. So it's like don't focus on like oh. I want the the uh, one million dollars for me, and I want this for me, and I want this because I deserve this. It's really like Viktor Frankl puts it. It's just like ask what the world needs of you, and then do that. Because every time I notice that I go back to focus on me, everything gets worse. And when I say me, it's like on on what I need, quote unquote. Like oh, I need this to be happy, or I need that instead of what does the world need of me, kind of thing. Because mm-hmm. most of the time, those yeah. two go hand in hand. You know, maybe what the world needs of you is for you to, you know, work out better so you can get your mindset in shape so you can help more people. But that's also helping yourself in the process. But by taking the focus of you so much, you kind of let also a lot of that pressure go and things just flow better, in my opinion, you know. I think that's also, that's the quote from Marcus Aurelius, uh, what's good for the beehive is good for the bee. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of like that, like, I, I don't, I truly believe that there's nothing you could do that's good for you that's bad for the world i think uh, i think life is kind of beautiful in that in the sense that as long as you're doing good to yourself you're doing good to the world and i might i might get a little backlash on that statement but this i think that's that's how i see it i don't i don't really think you can do good and get bad out of it but yeah yeah like the the problem here might be like what is good you know that's where, yeah, where the, the, that's where the debate can come. Yeah. But I think I think we all know what good is. I think that's kind of like like even if you can't really explain it, we know when something good is happening. Yeah. I think in, inside of us at least, or when you're you're like yeah, no, you feel good. you kind of feel what is right for you, and then you learn, and then yeah. But it's funny because sometimes we get some comments. It's like I'm quoting someone who died three thousand years ago, and then the person comes like, uh, "You shouldn't use that word there." Well, like, sorry if I'm quoting someone, you know. It's kind of like, "Oh, you shouldn't." That, this the the example I remember. You shouldn't words use the word, or no, it was like instead of gods, he said God correcting, and it's like, bro, and, <laughs> you know when the fuck this was written? <laughs> it's like, yeah. come on, but it's yeah, it's kind of I think it's. Yeah, that's just focusing on... I think with everything we say, just don't take it too literally, I guess. It, it's just kind of apply some subjectivity to... It's just having common sense, really, Yeah. with, with all these things. But I you know, common sense is not that common anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and then I it's whatever. It's I feel like kind of also, to, that. to be honest, I don't really care. If, if somebody mis- misinterprets it, it's like, yeah. whatever. That's yeah. gonna happen. It's also one of those things. Like you always have to expect that people will misunderstand you, and it's fine. Especially with this day and age, I think it's, it's something that will happen uh, more and more, just because you're exposed to more people. Yeah, dude. I was seeing, especially like in politics, I was seeing um, Donald Trump. He tweeted something that was it Detroit? Some city was like, oh, it's infested with rats and something. And it was like that's the literal sense of what he's saying. There's a lot of rats there. And um, yeah. like bugs, and then everyone like was interpreting things like, "Oh, he's calling black people like they're the infestation." And I was like, "What the <laughs> fuck oh are you God. talking about, bro? He's talking about rats. He's not talking <laughs> about." But then, yeah, it's just you have to know to a certain extent to know how to deal with it, but also to like not give too much a fuck about it. 
just and, with, and those, those things it's like just be smart why, why would he even say that like do you think the president of the united states would publicly voice that he's racist like uh, just apply some logic to it uh, it's yeah, crazy it's, but it's crazy. i just want to kind of shift the topic a bit i was today i was listening to a podcast and i they mentioned this really cool article and it's talking about the differences in loneliness between the, the generation before us and the current one so it, for our okay. generation so it's from millennials and the other one was like generation x i think i don't really know how it works or baby boomers something like that but basically the gist of it is i think the the, the rates of loneliness are increasing and the, the, they don't seem to to be stopping the trend is always to be to the next generation so the generation that's coming after us which is generation z it's expected to be even lonelier than us and uh just to quote some statistics from that article it was something crazy like um 25 percent of millennials they claim to not have like a close friend wow. and that's like 25 percent that's that's crazy so that's uh, something huge and i think the the generation before that was it was almost like zero that the, for that specific thing and it just goes to show i think this is i think it, it's just really all about i think social media and kind of the way it's uh making us view social contact i think it just gives us a, a sense Like when you're using Instagram, when you're using Twitter, Facebook, you just get this sense. I, th I think your craving for social contact is fulfilled, but you don't get the real value of relationships through it. You don't get that that you don't get those close friends where you can actually like dialogue and yeah, it's like a set excuse for the real thing. Yeah, and yeah, that's it's it. so man, it's kind of sad because nowadays, you know, um, and like. Wealth-wise and, you know, like, yeah, yeah wealth-wise, it's better than ever. Like, we have access to more things than ever. Before, we have less unemployment than ever before. In, like, in general, better jobs, better qualities, pretty much better all around. But then we have such an increase in these mental issues. You know, it's like anxiety, depression, mm -hmm. loneliness in general. And it's yeah, so sad yeah. because... Yeah, it's because like it's the younger kids are now. It's like the less capable skill. Uh, what's it? Like the less socially capable they are. And capable. it's so it's kind of scary to an extent yeah. because we went over that phase, like we're teenagers. So yeah, we were we yeah. at the beginning of it. Our generation was already like yeah, but, heavily but impacted. But not that much because you you're, you kind of went through the those strong years of the development, the the ones where it really matters, like the, you know, until like six, seven years yeah, old. Yeah. So kind of only after that did you really got hit with the fucking shit, which is, which is not good anyway, but yeah. it's it's not dangerous, not as dangerous. Yeah. But now, like for example, our sister, she's three years old and she, most she's like on YouTube and all this shit. And it's scary to think like, how is this going to develop? I'm, I'm scared if this is something like, you know, yeah. when, Uh, cigarettes appeared doctors sponsored it and all now you realize oh my god it's so horrible for you i wonder if social media is not going to be something like that for our brains to be like oh my god what what did we do i think it's i think it's like a, a massive like power that we discovered and we still don't know how to control it i think it's like a tool just like everything i think the analogy of like if you're using a hammer like the hammer can be used for good if you use it like to on a nail, or it can be used for bad if you hit someone on the head with it. I think social media is like a very, very, like, uh, exaggerated version of that. Because it's like, 
it, the, the initial idea that people have of it and how they justificate using it, I think it's good. It's like you can keep contact with people far away. You can meet new people. You can have relationships with people. You can find people with the same interests as you. And that's, that's all good. That's all, I think, very good things that it provides you. But that's also not why, not how most people are using it. Most people, they aren't really trying to find, I think, new pe people with the same interests as them and just trying to like find new friends. Most people are just like kind of going numbly through it and just kind of trying to distract themselves from the real world. And I'm saying most people, I do this a lot. I recently, I had to like, once again, just like delete my social, my Instagram and Twitter accounts just because I was noticing how the impact that it was having just on, on specifically on my, my loneliness and my social relationships. And guess what? I just like, after three days of deleting it, I'm already feeling, first of all, I've already, I've already went out more with my friends, which is like the real thing that I want and the thing that I think counters the loneliness most most people will feel. And it's, also, uh, I'm just, friends, I, yeah. I noticed the effort I make on creating more plans, going out with more people, because once because the cravings are still there. I still want social contact, but now I just have to go search for the real thing and not just kind of the easy, gratuitous yep. version. And so it's it's a dangerous thing. It's it's it scares me, just like you say, and I feel really bad because I'm, I consider myself a self-aware person and this is hard for me. This is really hard. And so I, most of my friends, I just, I don't want to brag about like being self-aware, but... Me, the self-aware God. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, they're, they're not that self-aware and I see the impact that kind of has on them. And, and most people, just the impact that's having on them and they don't, don't even know that it's having that impact. And, and uh, just going back to our little sister, like she literally doesn't have the capability of knowing the, the impact that it's causing it. So it's, it's a really scary yep. scenario and it's one of those things that we don't know where it's yeah. going to... But like on the positive side, it also brings... I think it probably brings more positive than negative, even though this is like such yeah. a blank statement, but because it just allows you for so much. It's just, it's like the, the mind can just wonder whatever it wants which can be very dangerous, you know, if you don't control it. It can be very powerful as well. Like before, if you wanted to know like, oh, how do I build, uh, I don't know, like a compass, for example, random example. You'd be like, oh fuck, I have no idea. I have to go maybe find someone who knows how to do it. That's almost impossible. Maybe find a book on it, almost impossible as well. Now you can just like Google that shit in five seconds you have the solution there. And if you, that's the thing, it's knowing how to control to control your impulses nowadays, even for, for everything. Like nowadays, more people die from obesity than they die from hunger, which is like a, a, a crazy fact because it just means that we just, <laughs> the solution is just controlling ourselves. But a lot of us cannot do that. Pretty much all of us have something we can keep in control. But if we manage to, in my opinion, to just like realize what are the most important things you want to fix and then be able to manage those impulses and use the tools we have to the, the best capability we can, it's like we're unstoppable. Because not only we have so much access to all of this, but because most people are not doing it. Most people are, mm -hmm. if you think about it, like I say like you, me, and people who are listening to the podcast, you're more self-aware, you're more inside this world. But like 99% of the world is not inside of this. Or 90%, just to be fair, but... So it's, it's just such a, a great advantage. Just for, just for example, if you can control your emotions and not get upset at everything, 
that's like a superpower for most people. Most people cannot yeah. just like take a breather and, and think like, was I right? Was I wrong? Hmm, maybe I shouldn't get upset. Most people just like start getting angry or start getting upset or... And I see this sometimes with friends from, you know, not to brag like, oh, me, I'm a, a stoic, a stoic mind. <laughs> no, but like I most friends I see that from before, like old friends, which I really like, as you know, let, let's be fair here. But they're very, you know, they're not mastering their emotions. They're like, mm, I got upset that person. Fuck that person. Oh, my coffee was cold. Fuck this. It's like, can you just <laughs> can you take a second to think about this? And be like, oh, maybe you, yeah. did you ever fuck up in your life? Yes. Okay, then be, you know, try to be understanding. But yeah, so I feel like we can go. I just want to talk about one more thing and then I think we can end, which is, yeah, sure. I always go back to this, but it's the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And for me, every time like that I'm getting a problem now, the solution is inside this book. It's crazy. It's, and, and for me, it's just the power of focusing on Maybe I, I was just lucky and I picked the right book. It was like every every time, like uh, yesterday, I was the problem of like, oh, I went my goals now, didn't? And then I went just to the chapter of try to understand first before being understood, and I realized, oh, there's much more power in just allowing other people to, you know, feel expressed and to you necessarily needing to express yourself and stuff like that. And it's just crazy going back to this once again. How much you can take by going deep instead of going wide. If it's just like focusing on one thing and really diving deep into that, as opposed to, you know, just like being on the, like with a lot of things, but not really going deep in any one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think you derive definitely a lot of value. It's just, I think, and it's just with everything. I think humans are really good at focusing on the one thing and just kind of trying to like explore all the avenues inside that, that one thing. We're much better at depth than width, I, I would say. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's just kind of the, the, the example you're always, because people have been listening to the podcast, they know you've been talking a lot about this book because it's the only one you're really paying attention to. And it's obviously working, so it's kind of one of those things, you just kind of have to try it for yourself because it's kind of hard to believe it. And most of us don't want to believe it because it's boring to think that you, you like, for me, I like reading, so I just want to go over more books and more books, but that's not necessarily what would benefit me the most. It's just kind of taking a step back and realizing maybe if I just choose this one really good book and try to master it, that will get me a lot more benefits than just trying to read other books. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we can end on that note. Um, if you guys have any suggestions about books, about topics you want us to talk about, you can send us a message over at uh, Paths of Meaning on Instagram. And uh, if you can, we'd greatly appreciate can, if you can leave a review on iTunes. Five stars, please, baby. And uh, that's it. Only five stars. Uh, <laughs> next week's going to be the second part of Letters from a Stoic by Seneca. I don't think we're going to finish it in two parts, but we'll see. And yeah. <laughs> we'll try it.